I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a PodQuest cast. The finale quest cast. It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman and a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah! I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with Hey guys, uh, welcome to your regularly scheduled Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Now, if you're new to the show, welcome! Today isn't just any episode, it's the final and epic conclusion to a loosely constructed narrative that's taken over the show for, oh, the last eight episodes. Around these parts, we like to call it a PodQuest cast. PodQuest cast! Well, to mark the occasion, I brought back a fan-favorite guest, he kicked off PodQuest Cast Part 1, and he's closing out PodQuest Cast Part 8. That's right, if you didn't read the episode title, today's guest is the legendary Batman writer and creator of Harley Quinn himself, Mr. Paul Dini. Paul is returning to the show. If you want to listen to what else he talked about, last time he came on to discuss Baby Doll. And guys, he's just a treasure trove of information. He's awesome. Hey, but that's not all. First, I sat down with Batman fan, artist, and the creator of Cartoon Network's 12 Forever, Julia Vickerman. She's awesome. We'll get to her soon. But first, uh, you're going to have to excuse me. I actually just got thrown hundreds of miles from the middle of a nondescript desert to my closet by a giant troll with a flamethrower to deliver a golden XLR cable to my dying talking microphone to save my robot assistant from mysterious circumstances before the podcast ends indefinitely. Yeah, this shouldn't take more than a sec. Let me just turn this here closet doorknob. We're sorry. The door you're trying to open is either locked or unavailable for turning at this time. Please try again after the performance. Yeah, I'm just gonna go in. Something's not right. Hey, where do you think you're going, buddy boy? Uh, into my closet? Name? Justin, it's my closet. In my room. Mm, let me see. Uh, sorry, nope. I am not seeing a Justin. It's my closet in my room on the list. Hey, aren't you that shoe who thinks he's my landlord I met last April in the Sideshow episode? I don't know. I'm a shoe. My memory is non-existent. Wait a minute. I recognize you. Hey, you're the guy who used to use this place as a closet instead of an exclusively egg-themed stand-up comedy club. Eh, I guess I can let you in for old times' sake. Did you say egg-themed? Yes. Yes, I did. Do you have ears? Now go inside before I give you the boot! <laughs> yeah, I'm working on my own puns, you know. One day I hope to get up there on the pun stage and really try out my wares, pun it up. Okay, uh, well, guys, I'm gonna head on in, but uh, while I do that, why don't we get to the Batman part of the show? Today's episode, Harley and Ivy.
After being booted out of the Joker's service, Harley Quinn forms a partnership with Poison Ivy. The Joker has a fit when he hears about their crime spree and sets out to get Harley, and more important, the loot she stole, back. It's a free-for-all as Batman, the Joker, Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy duke it out in a toxic waste dump. Original air date, January 18th, 1993. Written by Paul Dini, directed by Boyd Kirkland, music composed by Shirley Walker, with animation by Dong Yang. Of course, Kevin Conroy is Batman. Robert Costanzo actually voices a goon, even though he is uh, credited as Detective Bullock. And of course, Mark Hamill's the Joker, Diane Pershing is Poison Ivy, and Arlene Sorkin is Harley Quinn. What can be said about this episode that hasn't been said on the internet already? Uh, people love Harley and Ivy, and I think it's a testament to how strong the character's relationship is. Plus, who doesn't love a good team-up episode? Uh, we actually talk a bunch about this episode, no surprise, in the following interviews, so I'm going to cut it off here and move to... Today's fan, Julia Vickerman. Julia is an amazing artist, writer, director. I've been a fan of her stuff for some time now, so it was super fun to have her on the show. She currently works on the new Powerpuff Girls show for Cartoon Network, which will be debuting in 2016. Uh, but she also created 12 Forever, which is an animated pilot that you can view on Cartoon Network's website. It's great. She worked on Yo Gabba Gabba Community and a slew of other cool projects. So, you know, let's dig in. Just like really yeah. like start playing it like <laughs> an instrument. Right. Actually, really you know, if you want to do that for the whole podcast, <laughs> then just do that instead. Okay, cool. Okay, great. Well, I'm sitting here with Julia Vickerman. Hello. Hi. We don't know each other, but <laughs> yeah. we're talking Batman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you do with someone you just met. Right. You do that with a stranger mm-hmm. pretty much every day of your life. <laughs> I mean, I know I do. That's why I have so few friends. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's why I created this podcast, so I could talk to like-minded weirdos. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's a really good idea. I mean, you it's, a, it's definitely a very specific podcast. It's insanely specific. <laughs> <laughs> did you tell your surprised. Did you tell your parents you were doing this? Yeah, my mom actually did the first episode. Really? She because when I was younger, like I used to sit there, like record it, press pause, edit out the commercials, and then like sure, sure, act it out for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> she was a very indulgent mom. She's very patient. Very patient. <laughs> uh, so she, I had her on, and she. Uh, told me that she thought Nightwing was really hot. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was like, first of all, you know who Nightwing is. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's uh, a cool mom. Yeah, and then I felt a little uncomfortable about her talking <laughs> about Nightwing being hot, but also like, you know, great. <laughs> when you would act it out, did you have like a specific favorite character? I think it was really Mr. Freeze. Mm. I, I really liked that tragic, sad, bald man. Yeah, he's got a lot of issues. Yeah. I think I liked all of I mean, I really would just reenact the, like, I, I really liked Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. you know, basically regurgitated the episodes, but worse. Sure. <laughs> You'd pretend to be two sassy broads out yeah. on the town. It, did, it was not convincing. <laughs> um, but I, I think I, like, mouthed all the music, too, so it was just, like, an insane child with too much energy uh-huh. who just really wanted to be making stuff but didn't know it. <laughs> How old were you when the show was on the air? Let's see. I was, like, six when it started. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, six through, I guess, like, 12, 13. It was on the air for a while. Yeah, I didn't even know that, actually, because I, yeah. I pretty much... 
I think I only really watched like the first two seasons, but specifically mm-hmm. season one, which was on when I was like <clears throat> seven. So, uh, but yeah, I rewatched the Ivy and Harley episode today and was kind of struck by how how well it stood up. Yeah, to what time? You know what held up for you? Um, the writing was is a big part of it. I think. I'm interested in asking questions because I, I don't know that much about. Well, I'm just jumping right into like the middle of the episode. Oh yeah, go for it. But uh, like, there's this because uh, Paul Dini wrote this particular one, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and there's all these kind of. It was like the 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 guys the the predominantly male writers. I'm assuming are all of a sudden. I think like, there was only one female writer I could find. Oh okay. And she only wrote one episode. Maybe there was a, maybe there were a couple, but it was kind of crazy. Yeah, but it seemed like these guys were like, yeah, let's write like a pro feminist episode, which yeah. is like wasn't really um, that common for Saturday morning cartoons of that time period, and. Um, I mean, this episode always stuck out to me because as a kid, I was drawn to it because I was like, oh, the two girls hanging out together. And then, like, you get older and you're like, hey, yeah, it's so infrequent that you even see two female characters being shown in those in those kind of Fox cartoons or yeah. the, the Warner Brothers cartoons. Like, you would you would barely ever even see, like, two female friends hanging out, let alone two villains, you know? Because usually if there's, like, two villains... Like, I, I just keep thinking of, like, G.I. Joe and the dynamics between, like, the females in that show. Yeah. The, the villainesses. They usually are very catty with one another, and they're, they don't, they by no means want to work together. There's always some, and there's always some there's kind like of... There's, like, competition There's competition. Them. There's always, yeah. like, this weird competition, whether it's, like, for a man or for something else, but usually it's a man, because yeah. that's, that's so easy to, like... Let's pit the two evil women against each other because they both mm-hmm. want to hook up with the the bad guy. Yep. All yeah. right, you listening, boys? Grow yeah. up thinking this. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it was like it was like this is exciting because there's never it's like it takes the opposite route. It's just yeah. like Poison Ivy is so almost like this man hating straw feminist in this episode where she all and the part where she where she says the line about um. When they strap Batman to that thing and they're gonna push him into the I loved that set toxic. piece, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it was so interesting. She's like, well, now you're gonna be bound to these devices that have been women of, you know, it's like, uh, what are they? I wrote it down because it was. Like, oh yeah. Let me see. Oh yeah, she says here we have the typical male aggressor fittingly imprisoned within the bonds of female domestic slavery, mm-hmm. and I was like, holy crap, that is so unusual. Because also I was like. What is Poison Ivy's background? Was she? It seems like she has a history with with domestic housework. Because otherwise, why would she feel yeah. so? Unless they were just using her as this kind of stereotypical, like I'm a I'm a feminist and I hate what what women have had to do, like the the box yeah. that women have had to fit in. I don't know if her society. background was at all like type A feminist. Because I thought she was that. like a scientist. Yeah, she was. She was like a botanist and she really loves plants. Yeah. <laughs> that so was, was kind of her deal. So, But I wonder if before that there was some, like, I was like, maybe there was, they're, they're like thinking, oh, maybe she has a past with this. Because I was like, why would she and Harley hate these devices so much? It doesn't seem like they've ever had to really use them. But then, of course, they snuck that other part into the script where it was like, you go back to the Joker and his henchman hanging out at the comedy club or wherever yeah. they live whatever abandoned decorated <laughs> Aband- place that they're at <laughs> yeah and uh and he's all like oh this place is really gone to 
gone to like the dogs and so yeah. you know what i mean like it's all dirty and he's like the laundry hasn't been or i can't find my socks and this place is filthy and i was like oh so that was harley's role like i didn't didn't even you didn't even know that before this episode it was like was she your housekeeper it's like a sad window into like an abusive relationship completely yeah i mean the yeah the whole episode is just like I was like, oh, I can so relate to both of them in this position because you've all, you've been that girl who's been in the, you're dating this creepy, manipulative dude, mm-hmm. and you can't really see how much he's chipped away at your identity, and then you you're also you've also been in the position where you've been like the really aggressive, like you you see your friend in this hurtful relationship, yeah. and you're just trying to pull them out of it as hard as you can, and you're trying to get them to remember their their self worth, and but they've just their their identities become so wrapped up in this. This, yeah. this overbearing man or, or woman in some cases, but usually man mm-hmm. that it's like, it's really hard to get them out of that. But I mean, that's, I mean, Harley Quinn is such a, you like tragic characters. I mean, that seems like it's kind of her thing. And she's just kind of this easily uh, manipulated person who she was a, a doctor, correct? Yeah. She was a psychiatrist. Yeah. Like she's intelligent. Yeah. So she was like a smart, very smart, uh, educated woman with, with, with a strong persona, but obviously not strong enough to like withstand. She was obviously had a, had some kind of hole inside herself that could only be filled by this kind of sociopathic person. But it's just so interesting that then she, her her identity starts to be sh- it it shifts and she starts to become this thing that fits more easily into his world mm-hmm. like this this Joker persona this Harlequin persona it's not even something that she created all on her own it's just like oh I'll be like a side sidekick yeah and, I'll fit in with him he's yeah, my new life <laughs> exactly and then it's just like Poison Ivy is just trying fruitlessly to like make Harley recognize different parts of her. That she's lost. I feel like we've all been in, yeah, like you were saying, both positions. Yeah, for <laughs> we sure. Like, this person's horrible for you. <laughs> yeah, when you're on the outside, you completely. It's so easy. It. But when you're on the inside, you're just like all you care about is I want. I will hope he misses me. Yeah, it's a drug. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, oh. exactly. And it was interesting how she has those lines about like, yeah, he's a little rough sometimes. Like, like it's like, oh, it's not even just a emotionally abusive relationship. It's like physically abusive. As I'm well. surprised they got away with that. Me too. It was very. It was just a kind of. It was just such an interesting episode. I mean, there just weren't other things in animation on American TV being done like that at that time. And so, of course, when I was a kid, it was just like, "Yay, the girls hanging mm-hmm. out together!" And like, they're so cool. And I remember the part where like the the dudes in the car. You know that part that's been blogged on Tumblr and shit with all the animated they're, like, kids leering at. Yeah, them. like the the male chauvinist dudes are like, do, they're like that cat calling moment where all they're like, "Hey, baby, hey, baby," and then they're like, "Didn't your mother ever?" teach you not to talk to ladies like that and they're like what are you gonna do spank me and then she's like yeah and here's the paddle and she pulls out the bazooka and blows up their car blows up the car yeah that's a question i wanted to ask is i was like that moment would have been so much cooler if she had just killed all of them (laughs) but of course they have to jump out of the car first that's your i feel like that's something that they probably wanted (laughs) yeah but that's your that's your classic standards and practices yeah you got to see everybody yeah. get up and they're, they're in the parachute i'm okay you know so um, andrea romano called that like a keep alive grunt mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> so it's just like yeah no, 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 they're okay kids yeah i wanted to ask too about just kind of what the what the s&p rules were back in the early 90s about showing guns in cartoons because like that some of that stuff like Joker shooting at batman with a tommy gun you, you couldn't get away with you wouldn't that be now. able to do that now it's just not allowed and like 
I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in like kind of when that shifted. I know that they at least got away with it because they stylized the weapons a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. they look like guns, uh, but yeah. they still, I guess, in the scripts would call them dark deco weapons. Really? So they would kind of trick their way into getting them in there. That's interesting. But then they would call them out for saying, oh, my God. Like, they'd have to say, like, you know. Oh, my gosh. Dear, yeah, like, dear we, clouds in heaven or uh, something yeah, like. yeah, you know, like how people talk. Yeah, everybody talks that way. <laughs> but it's so crazy that they were so much more worried about the religious aspect and not, like, there are people shooting sometimes at camera with yeah. a Tommy gun, which. Well, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty topical subject here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, guns don't matter. Uh, I think we're okay. Yeah, that? yeah, we're fine uh, yeah, right I f- now. I think that's all been taken care of. There aren't any gun problems in this country. No, so. it's all like the people with their individual mental yeah. health issues. Well, I, th- I feel like sexuality is a lot more dangerous. And Absolutely. Don't show anything. <laughs> yeah, but I also I also read something. It might have even been with Paul Dini where like when they were trying to get... It was either this one or another episode that was Har- Harley and Ivy based where they were like, why... Why would a little boy want to watch two two women walking around for twenty two minutes? And it was just like, oh, these they're very sexy women. Like every little boy will want to watch this. That was the answer. It was some kind of response of like, it was the thing. It was like, why would two boys want to watch like two women walk around in under in their basically in their underwear? Oh yeah, that does happen in another episode. And then he was like, you obviously don't know any little boys. That was something. The response was something like that. Weird. Where, where it was like everyone likes that, <laughs> which is true. Yes, <laughs> so true. Like, also, like you can identify with people of different genders. <laughs> no, like, I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> uh, you're, I knew you do have that like hardcore like chauvinist podcast, right? But no, that is that is also like just the antiquated attitude. It's just like little boys don't want to watch shows about women, which, which is crazy. Which is. 100% false but of course all the little girls will be fine with watching mm-hmm, Batman mm-hmm. that's still something that just happens all the time in animation it's like the boy audience is so much more of a concern than the female audience because there's a, a common belief that girls stop watching animation before boys do and it's like well yeah, perhaps they do because they you are not making any cartoons for those yeah, you're girls. You're not catering to what they want. Yeah, because their interests are becoming a bit more mature and there are not cartoons addressing those things except for like, you know, Daria or mm-hmm. if this show had had if there was a Harley and Ivy I show. I truly would have watched a spin-off Harley and Ivy show for oh, sure. My god, that would have been like my dream. Like They're also I, some of the most interesting characters on the show. Exactly. I think so too. They're so they have just so many kind of facets and like uh I liked their dynamic. It was mm-hmm. so fun to watch them together, especially when they're just like in their kind of domestic mode, you know, mm-hmm. like uh Poison Ivy's like cooking dinner for Yeah, they're just wearing Harley. big t shirts and hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like just some girls, you know. I was like, I would love to see them just fuck shit up all the time. But um oh can you curse on here? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is me releasing this into the ether <laughs> with no restrictions. <laughs> well what let me ask you this, like you work in animation, um mm-hmm. and you have for a while. Like, uh what what were your takeaways? Like what is there anything that you like because when you originally saw this, do you feel like it influenced you in any way, or this was just a show that was, like, fun? Uh, no, I mean, this show definitely 
I think it was so influential to a bunch of kids our age because they hadn't seen anything like it before. I mean, you're at, you're still at the age where your exposure to what animation can be was still relatively low in like the early '90s. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was before I'd really found out what like anime was and like oh there there is or like what Ralph Bakshi or like heavy metal mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. Where it's like I didn't quite realize yet that there was animation with more mature themes and i think and batman was just had such this kind of dark sensibility and it just seemed like it wasn't unlike so many other shows from that time period it just didn't seem like it was just kind of catering to kids like kids can can tell when they're being condescended to absolutely and like uh and this was actually this was a show where like the score had so much thought put behind it the art direction had so much thought put behind it not that other shows didn't but like this there were this show had definitely had moments that were bordering on like this is not for kids entirely you know what i mean like this is something that everyone would enjoy and uh i don't know so it stood out a lot and it was just always nighttime and so you kind of feel like you kind of felt like a cool kid watching yeah. it. Because <laughs> did it, you have a lot of friends who watched it? Yeah, I did. I think. I mean, it was one of those things where like everyone was definitely all the kids I knew were into the the movies. Mm-hmm. And um, but I don't I don't know if people talked about the show as much. I know like I was. I mean, I Harley was like my favorite character. Was what just, did you like about her? I just thought she was so funny. Like, I, it was exciting to see... Uh, um, I mean, I always enjoyed, like, kind of sexy women animated characters when I was younger. Like, you know, like, Jessica Rabbit or right. Hollywood from Cool World or... Um, oh, man. I haven't seen Cool World in since it came out, and I think I had a crush on whoever that character was. Yeah, Kim Basinger's character. Yeah, and she was, like, an homage to, like, uh, you know... Swing Shift Cinderella, Red Hot Riding Hood, the tech from Tex oh, yeah, Avery, Avery stuff. era. So, um, just, and so is Jessica Rabbit for that matter. She's this kind of sexy singer, mm-hmm. performer in a club. and uh, But she was a little more pornographic. But, like, the, when I was a kid, like, that was one of the reasons I wanted to be an animator was to, like, draw sexy women dancing <laughs> and doing things. But Harley was, like, she looked traditionally kind of beautiful but she was she got funny lines yeah. and she also got to do like um she had like you know physical comedy and hijinks and was like kind of like whoopsie <laughs> and it was just this interesting uh combination of traits mm-hmm. like you can be sexy and you can be goofy and silly at the same time yeah and i think that 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 combination has always appealed to me and like uh i made a like we talked about before the start rolling, I made a pilot with Cartoon Network called 12 Forever. Yeah, it's can, great. Thank you. That <laughs> you can you can watch on CartoonNetwork.com or on YouTube. And the the villain character in this particular pilot is this uh, the character called the Butt Witch, who is kind of sexy, but is also funny and goofy and like at the same time. And is voiced by Matt Berry, who's a British comedian that I'm a big fan of. And... Hmm. Um, I just, it's, I like kind of combining unexpected traits like that. And I think Har, I didn't even like realize that connection until right at this moment, but I'm saying like, that's, Harley is a good example of that. Like sexy, but funny. Cause it's a lot of the time, like the, the beautiful woman doesn't necessarily get the funny lines. No, there's always, or not always, but until very recently, I feel like a very 
huge division where people are like, well, you can't be pretty and funny at the same time if you're a woman. Yeah. And this was rare at that time. At that time, definitely. And thankfully now that's people are finally like... Oh, we're idiots. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, oh yeah, why were we so limited in our thinking for so long? But uh, once again, we've figured it out. Now everything's good. Yeah, everything's great, right? Yeah, there's no gender gap anymore. Nope, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. Equality is something we've solved. Uh Racial equality has been solved. Mm -hmm. Gender equality. Sexual equality. (laughs) (laughs) Everything. Yeah. We live in a perfect world. (laughs) (laughs) Coming at you from a utopian society. Uh Uh-huh. This is what you signed up for with a Batman podcast. (laughs) Uh, and watching rewatching that episode today, it was the acting is just so good. Like those voice actors just did such a good job bringing those characters to life. Very like much more grounded than a lot of other stuff in animation at the time. Yeah, I don't know. It's just I I just really liked watching it. Cause sometimes you go back and you watch stuff from your childhood, and it's very cringeworthy, and you're yeah. like, oh, clearly, you know, you sometimes you go back and watch old He Man, or you watch. G.I. Joe or something, and you're just like, oh, did you guys have a, a quota on how many times you had to say, like, the name of a vehicle within, like, a five-minute span because of, like, toy sales? And, and this show just didn't seem like it had an, uh, an agenda like that. Like yeah, I feel like they tricked the network into making it the way they wanted. Or yeah. not, also, there was a cool, I think there was somebody cool, like, up top. There must have been, um, because, like, this show, it stands out. And like, and there was other cool shit happening on on Fox Kids at the time, but nothing kind of with so, like a dark sensibility like this. But what I mean, other stuff did you watch at the time? Uh, I was real into Tiny Toon Adventures. It's great. Yeah, and Animaniacs, which I know was like a little bit later, but mm-hmm. like those shows had a really nice subversive element to them that also doesn't come out until you watch it later. You know, as a kid, you're like, this is cool, but I can't quite put my finger on yeah. it. And there are some jokes that you're like, I don't get that. Maybe I'll get that when I'm older. And then you go back and watch it. You're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty fucking oh, good. Oh, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Well, it was the same. a lot of the same crew like being swapped for, for sure. shows, which is very like interesting to see them like jump from that. Like, I don't know, like kind of a dour show, a mm-hmm. dour drama to like, you know, goofy, yeah. looney hijinks. Yeah. Um, yeah, Warner Brothers did cool stuff back in the day. These days, what do you look for like in, in animation? In what animation? do you love? Um, I don't... I mean, I, I work in cartoons, you know, uh, 10 hours a day mm-hmm. or more. So I don't, I don't watch a ton of animation on my own. I, I rewatch... My boyfriend's children enjoy watching the Ghibli movies. So we oh, cool! Rewatched the I've watched those many times. Howl's Moving Castle was the one we rewatched most recently. Those are cool kids. They're they're, <laughs> they're very into cool. That. Yeah, they're very cool kids. But you know, they also enjoy stuff like Monster High and <laughs> uh, you know. And my um, speaking of Warner Brothers, my boyfriend just art directed the new Scooby Doo. Oh, Kitchen awesome! Art. It looks great. It just premiered last night. Yeah. It's getting like some so feedback like be on cool be cool Scooby Doo. Yeah, it's getting. It started out when he f- initially like was pitching and pitching new designs. It was more Schoolhouse Rock, and then through the through the showrunner got shifted out a little bit more into like a Family Guy realm with the designs. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's not when you watch it. It's far more dynamic than Family Guy, and I think it's really funny. But 
So I hope people enjoy oh, Scooby Doo, the yeah. new incarnation. Scooby Doo was one of my favorites as a kid. Uh, I think I just like monsters, though. Yeah. Like even if they did end up being people, I, that, <laughs> like the section before they were revealed as people was the best. Yeah, yeah. This one is like, since Mysteries Incorporated was more about trying to make Scooby Doo actually a little more intense and scary. This be cool. Scooby Doo is not trying to make it kind of like funny and silly again. It's going more of a comic route, but. I like it. So it's all Scrappy-Doo all the time. Yeah, Scrappy's a star of the show. Great. Because uh, I, th- I think history has shown that he is the most beloved character in the Scooby-Doo roster. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, people love that he was the yeah. villain in the live-action movie. Was he really? He is. Oh. Sorry, spoiler alert for Scooby-Doo <laughs> with Matthew Lillard and... and Linda Cardellini? Yeah, my, my friend James Gunn wrote that movie. Oh, man. Yeah. but Just I'm, casually dropping my friend James Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did the, I worked on the title sequence for his movie, Super. Oh, that's cool. So, Is it um, like Rain Wilson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellen, Rain Wilson, Ellen Page joint. Um, yeah, that's what, that was douchey to say that. I'm sorry. But no, oh, now, no, but I now was, I'm like revealing I was calling happened. you out in a like, yeah. fake way. <laughs> Now I'm revealing that I have not seen Scooby-Doo, so there goes that friendship. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that's it for him, right? He's like, if you haven't seen Scooby-Doo, that's like what he holds the top. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he's most proud of. Right? Post, to this day. Post-Guardians of the Galaxy, he's still just like, mm, Scooby-Doo was better. Yeah, Guardians was okay, but Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I actually really enjoy it. There, are like, there is a lot of Scooby- I haven't seen it for a while, but I remember liking it. Yeah, I would like to see it. Peter Boyle's in the second one. He plays some like weird old man. Oh, interesting. And they have like a lot of like weird kind of live action hybrids of like the old designs, so it's like oh cool, kind of disturbing hmm. but cool to watch. Well, Matthew Lillard is actually still the voice of Shaggy. Oh, really? Yeah, he's uh, he's retained that. He position. does a good Shaggy. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, and uh, Kate Micucci is the new Velma, which She's is great. very cool. She's an awesome girl. Um, yeah, I didn't. I just came on here to plug the new Scooby Doo. Yeah, no, I mean it seems like that. You came in decked out in Scooby Doo onesie. Yeah, I'm, dra- I'm, dra- I'm dressed as Scooby Doo currently. You literally dropped just plush Scoobies everywhere yeah. in my place. Yeah, in this episode, what else stood out? Um, I thought it was funny the one part where Batman was looking through like the like the the photos that he has on file of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and one of them was just like kind of a sexy pin-up pose of Poison Ivy, and, a, and then Alfred comes in, he's like, oh, you're choosing a date for this weekend? That was my Alfred impression. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at pictures of women alone in a cave again. Exactly. And I love Batman's voice in the animated series. He's so, he's so sexy. Like, I've never really been, really been into Batman except, like, attracted to Batman except that Batman. Even though I like Christian Bale. I'm not attracted to him as Batman. Yeah, Kevin Conroy is great. Uh, I feel like he's, he is the voice of Batman for me, like, when I think about it. Yeah. That's well, it. <laughs> I know, and, and it's honestly, and that Joker is the Joker for me. I mean, Mark Hamill, is, he has such range as that Joker. Like, I love that yeah. like, he can go down into these, like, really menacing tones, as mm-hmm. well as, like, the high, the kind of insane laughter you know yeah he can be really terrifying and really funny exactly yeah. which is what the joker should be yeah i used to like have dreams about that joker when i was younger i had a dream once that like the animated joker killed my father <laughs> and uh and they cut my mom in half and then like 
her, she, then she had to have like Barbie legs <laughs> taped onto her, the upper half of her body. And it was this really specific dream I had as a child that I've yeah. always remembered because I was like, oh, the, the Joker is such a terrible man. It was like that Joker face too. Like, yeah. His, I used to draw in class, like I would just doodle the Joker over and over, which is like, if anybody looked at it, would they'd think I was psychotic. <laughs> like it's like a <laughs> very they, scary. Or they would just think you're really into ICP. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves the clown posse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I feel like looking at me, that people would immediately know that it was definitely not an ICP <laughs> fan. And they're like, he looks even nerdier than he does now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love hearing about kind of how animation production used to be because it is so different now. You can't really get away with as many things as you could back then. But then again, maybe you can get away with different things now that you couldn't then. Yeah, what do you think the main differences are? Uh, Working in it 10 hours a day. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely not, I mean, we get some weird stuff that we can't do, like, one of the weirdest notes we've gotten so far on Powerpuff Girls was we couldn't show, um, a cell phone or smartphone being damaged. Really? Like, even though we were showing the consequences of it being damaged late in the episode, like, you couldn't show, it was like, it, and that was more an S&P note, that's not like a Cartoon Network internal note, like, we don't want to be the network that breaks <laughs> iPhones, but it was just like, oh, we'd, we'd rather not show, um... You know, kids destroying iPhones. I guess if it's, like, mimicable, or I don't know what the phrase is, but, like, they say, like, if a kid could mimic it, then they don't but, want it. But if that, if you're going to go by that rule, then we can barely show anything. You wouldn't be right. able to show anything on television. I mean, it's crazy that you can't break a phone for a gag. <laughs> like, it, was, it wasn't even a gag. It was a bad thing that happened in the oh. episode that, like, was a, it was a plot point of, like, oh, no, like, that now she can't contact, now her sisters can't call Yeah, the her. repercussions are bad. It's yeah, clear nobody it wasn't, would it do wasn't, this. It wasn't like a gag. If it was a gag, I would understand the note more. If it was just like, oh, yeah, we're taking a chain, we're, like, hacking up a phone with a, yeah. with a hammer, or because that's you hack with a hammer, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you saw with a nail, and I don't really yeah. have any other analogy. Yeah, I'm really into tools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we... <laughs> But it was it was a, it was a situation where it was like oh no this ha- this action has consequences so like to me I'm like you should be able to show that but whatever I don't make the rules but um it's it's strange strange notes about you can't you, you can tie people up you characters can be tied up but their hands always have to be free you can't have bound hands <laughs> so like the least successful tie up is yeah always like a be really bad tie up they can always they have the option to free themselves if they want <laughs> they're just choosing not to yeah. Well, I feel like in this show, Batman's mask was never taken off while he was put under multiple times. It was a bit... Oh, and this episode, too, was so funny when he gets sent under the into the toxic waste and then he opens his mouth. Yeah. I was like, hmm, that doesn't seem like something Batman would do. Well, he's dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. The series Batman, ends immediately. Batman just inhaled toxic waste. Yeah. So. Yeah, she had to inject Harley Quinn yeah. <laughs> with something to protect her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty funny. It was also just, like, silly how they, they tie him up to all these, um, appliances, these women appliances, and then they don't just shoot him in the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the, that's, like, like every episode of Batman. That's it's why just, Gotham's like, theatrical. Yeah. It's just tie, just tie him up. <laughs> you know? Let's get rid of him as elaborately as possible, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Usually we'll, he gets away. <laughs> we'll just make a big show of it, but we won't We won't kill him. I feel like the psychology of it, which does not really exist, is like the Gotham criminals like really want to keep doing it. Like I feel yeah. like they love acting it out. 
Totally. Um, so they're like, we can't really get rid of him because then we don't have anything fun to do. Yeah. We're just sad. Yeah, it's all more about like the the dance mm-hmm. and the chase. Like it's all all the fun is in the chase, and like yeah. I, we kind of hope he gets free later so we can continue this charade. Yeah, <laughs> which is fun, you know. I mean, that's why Batman is fun, and that's why like the more serious takes on Batman are not quite as fun. Yeah, I'm tired of the serious takes on things. Yeah, I'm a little bit sick of it too. Like how. Like, the new, like, Suicide Squad that's coming mm-hmm. out is, like, I, I was... It's so exciting to see any kind of live-action version of Harley Quinn, in my mind. Yeah. And even the trailer, I'm just like, oh, this... And people are like, oh, it looks so stupid and so silly and stuff. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad that it's silly and stupid. And, like, Harley's doing uh, aerial gymnastics in her cell and stuff like that. I was like, that's silly. And I like... I kind of like that. I hope they push it sillier i feel like they're not going to but at least killer croc looks like a monster monster yeah i don't know i'm looking forward to it. initially i wasn't i was like this looks like a pile of garbage but i now i'm just excited to see harley quinn in a movie yeah i know it's insane that she's in a movie and she came from this show yeah it's very cool she was like born a side character mm-hmm. as for a gag essentially for one episode and now she's here exactly i think that's really neat that she's become part of the canon. Oh, the other part of the episode that was so kind of um, fun was when they break into that men's club and they're like talking about, oh, this antiquated idea of male superiority or whatever line she has. I'm just like, this is so over the top funny. It's just like, they're just like bashing you over the head with these like weird feminist lines. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's just it's just fun. I just I would I would just love to have been like a fly on the wall in that writer's room, being like they're like, yeah, little boys are gonna love this one. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's it's so cool that it, yeah, I don't know how they got that one in. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's but yeah, it is one of my it is one of my favorites though. It's definitely one that I've thought about the most probably since that one and the clayface one, just because the animation was so cool. Especially that one. that like transformation at the end where mm-hmm. he's like turning into everything. Yeah, that's when you're just like, creepy. oh, you guys shot all your budget on that one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a creepy one. They pour clay down his throat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he transfer. I mean, yeah, I love clayface. Yeah. But they're all just. I mean, yeah, Gotham has sad villains, and I don't know why, but I think as a kid it was like very attractive to see like. I don't know, something you weren't exposed to regularly. You kind of felt like you were like in on a secret and like your parents didn't know about it. Yeah. It's like you're you're seeing you're you're understanding how these people became the way that they are. Instead of it just being like, I'm Gargamel and I (laughs) wanna kill the Smurfs just (laughs) cause That's my thing. (laughs) Am I a monk? I dress like one. (laughs) Yeah, so you finally you're like oh yeah I can I understand why I, I kind of understand why this person will be doing the thing that they're mm-hmm. doing. Another thing that I like about Harley and Ivy is that neither of them are wearing high heels. I feel like a lot of the times women get stuck in high heels. These yeah. villains or most the, or, of them don't least, I guess in or at least in heeled boots. Doesn't Catwoman? Catwoman wear? maybe does. Yeah, I think, she, I think she wears some kind of heel. And I always thought that was just seemed so impractical and stupid. Silly. It just seems so stupid. Yeah. If you've ever worn high heels, you know what I mean? If, like, did you see the latest, like, the uh, Jurassic World? Oh, yeah. How she's just running her. And they, I didn't know they even make a joke about it in the movie, but still, 
it's it's ridiculous. It's cr- well, also it's crazy. Like now they're making a movie where she's running around in high heels. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like they did it on. I was like, they're doing this on purpose, right? Like, you know, what I mean, they're yeah. they're doing like wink, wink. This is this is goofy, but I feel like they weren't pushing it enough for it to be a joke. I feel like it got written in, and somebody was like, "Hey, we can't do this," and they wrote that one line. And that they're was like, like, "No, we're good now." Yeah. Okay. Great. We've explained it. Yeah. Cut out all the other parts where we make fun of it. <laughs> Well, supposedly, and I don't know, this is just, like, reading online, and who knows how much of it was, like, studio covering up a mistake, but they were like, oh, she requested to wear heels because she didn't want to walk around in uh, a gross, on the gross ground with just, like, bare feet. And I was like, really? The actress? Yeah. Well, she, you know, she then, she then you that. write in a line about sneakers. <laughs> yeah. Really Here, let me put on some shoes while I run away from this dinosaur. Yeah, that's not super... Uh... It's not super difficult. Nope. In the land of make believe, <laughs> where li- where you can do whatever you. Where Jimmy Fallon's inside of a spinning ball. <laughs> like, uh, um. Yeah, no heels in Batman the Animated Series for the most part. Yeah, well, not in this episode. No, maybe uh, the penguin in some. <laughs> oh, he's cool alternate too. universe. Yeah, he well, that was Paul Williams, which is the coolest part of it. Wait, what do you mean? That was Paul the Williams did the voice of the penguin. You're kidding. Paul Williams does everything cool. I wow. think. Wow. He, yeah. That's amazing. We had um we had Paul Williams on. I used to work on Yo Gabba Gabba, and we had Paul Williams on to sing the Rainbow Connection one day, and it was what a dream. Oh, it was like the coolest day. It was so surreal. And people were like shedding some tears that day but i feel um, like i didn't know like i knew i loved the voice of the penguin as a kid and i loved the muppets and when i found out it was the same person and then like saw phantom of the paradise and mm -hmm. then saw like oh he influenced death but like everything about him is like so strange and like connected to everything i love totally and you Uh, love sobriety uh uh-huh yep i love speaking out about sobriety i think think he's 26 years sober now yeah very important he does talk about it a lot that's so cool i i'm gonna go watch an old penguin episode now it just sounds like him yeah it's like you know it's his voice like in everything He should have been the penguin in the... I mean, Danny DeVito killed it, but it would have been exciting to see. I feel like that, and honestly, is one of my favorite Danny DeVito anythings. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, he committed to that yeah, disgusting onesie-wearing poop Oh, man. yeah. It was <laughs> grotesque and yeah. awesome. Like, and when he bit that dude's nose off, I when I was a kid, I was just beyond horrified yeah it was one of the scariest things to me that part i was like oh i know it's coming yeah i would like fast forward through it on the video because i just couldn't handle him he uh well when you rewatch it and i don't know how recently it's been since you watched batman returns there's like that whole scene with him and catwoman where he's just like like it's like the most on the nose innuendo where he, he, like, says pussy a lot. Like, really? It's like, he's like, I want to, like, see that pussy. And I was like, what? This is crazy. Wow. It, it's not that phrasing, but it's that <laughs> that inappropriate. Gross. Like, they're just tra- – and so it's like, oh, sudden, he's just a pervert. All of a sudden, he's just uh, – he's his character on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Pretty much, yeah. It was early Frank. Yeah. <laughs> he looks way better now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have not, I've seen, I haven't seen Batman Returns in probably since college, but that wasn't that long ago. That wasn't that long ago, I'm not that old. Yeah. Oh, 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 God. (laughs) That's when the tears start. Yeah, okay, so we're only going to cut everything around that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just tears back to back. Um, 
Who was who who was your favorite between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn? Who did you find more interesting? Oh man. I think I liked Harley more. She was funny. Yeah. Like she was really funny and I think I just liked that. Yeah. Um and it wasn't like I feel like there's bad cartoon funny and there's good like it's like, oh like this is well written. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like vaudevillian shticky kind of stuff. Like, I feel like there's some half jokes in other cartoon or in other animation where it's like, oh, this person doesn't know how to be. Right. I, I don't know. Like, she and her voice was so good. Yeah, it's very Arlene good. Harleen Sorkin's amazing. Yeah, it's cool that she's, like, maintained doing Harley throughout the years. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. I'm trying to think of, like, what else, what I would think, how, how cartoons have, like, changed since. 1992 I definitely think there are just a lot especially on Cartoon Network and with shows like Steven Universe where they can just have such emotion like plots just about like I'm having this one kind of emotion Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like it's a far more like that to me is like treating kids with a lot more respect that like kids kids will be able they will still be interested in this even if the episode is just about like I'm going to a friend's house and that friend kind of makes me uncomfortable and I don't really want to be at that house for very long, which is something that's so kid relatable. It's such a, you know, small aspect. But it's huge when you're a kid. But it's a huge thing. Yeah. And just just that feeling of like, I don't want to be at this person's house because it's not my house. And like, uh, I don't know. Well, people seem to like understand kids a little bit better. <laughs> I f- to yeah, some that's extent. that's very that's very. They're true. listening, yeah. <laughs> or the people who grew up are now like making the shows. Yeah, where now. it's not just like these guys are like kids like it when stuff blows up. <laughs> yeah, give me my money. There are still those shows. Those old timey men are running those <laughs> shows. But there, I feel like yeah, Cartoon Network in general. Like I really appreciate the programming right now. Definitely, I loved Over the Garden Wall oh, so was, much. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Holy yeah, shit. I mean, there's just the, there's a lot more respect for like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. in cartoons nowadays, and like uh, I mean, even like slapsticky stuff. I mean, SpongeBob is just was such an incredibly clever, intelligent show, even though it was so oh yeah silly and ridiculous. So it feels very like Simpsonsy to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I love. <laughs> yeah, but it's not just like. You know, I don't know. It's hard to think of even. I'm trying to think of like cartoons from back in the day that I just didn't like at all. But if I say anything, it's just gonna you're just gonna get like bad feedback. Like what a square. Say it. But when I was a kid, I just wasn't into like super loud, screamy type of things. Like I didn't really like Tasmania or like Bobby's World or these other like Fox Kids. Yeah. Things that well, Bobby's World I guess was kind of kind of cool. I liked some of the Family Dynamics only because it was like. Midwestern mom mm-hmm. and I, a lot of my relatives were from the Midwest, but I don't know. It's just uh, you know, it's all these just reiterations of just like oh, screaming characters and. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, Batman related or otherwise? Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I've said my piece in terms of this episode. I really, I really am glad it exists, and I think it was a very interesting departure from some of the other Batman episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was cool just that it kind of sparked this relationship between Ivy and Harley that kind of c- that continued. And 
in the comics to this day, I think. You know, yeah. like, that's their relationship. Yeah, and, like, if, see, you know, there's all this fan stuff that they have a romantic relationship. And it's Which like, I did, I mean, this is, I guess, going to be later in the podcast if people are listening, but he was like, oh, yeah, that's, like, intended. Yeah, I mean, it completely seems like it. It's just, yeah. like, po- it's Poison Ivy trying to, like, she clearly has, she is deeply concerned for this other woman and cares about her best interest, and, like, you wouldn't be putting that much you wouldn't invest that much time and care into someone that you weren't interested in. Yeah. So it seems evident, um, which is really cool. It's stuck with me in my little child brain (laughs) and very interested in girl on girl dynamics. It's weird. What does stick with you from like that time period? Yeah, completely. So I, I don't know. It's always exciting when, when things like that pop up in shows. I hope that, I hope that kids will like Powerpuff Girls and there'll be the Powerpuff Girls reboot and there'll be elements of it that kids find somewhat inspiring. And 20 years later, they're talking about it. They're like, I loved this Julia Vickerman piece on Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but until then, everyone should go watch 12 Forever. It's the show that I'm developing at Cartoon Network and maybe it'll have a series in, in the future. Cool. Fingers crossed. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it stinks in here. Oh, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview because while you've been listening to that, I have been walking through my closet, which looks like it was turned into a Scarface-style nightclub, and it is seedy as hell. And so I said to the man at the pound, I want my dog, Sunny Side Pup. Oh no, it can't be. Thank you, thank you. I've been Stinky Old Egg. I will be here all day, all night, all forever. Or should I say forever? (laughs) Well, I think you should say nothing from now on, Stinky Old Egg. Ooey, ooey, gooey. If it ain't just Egg Mike Egg, I was wondering when you'd come back. What happened to my closet? Where's Mike Rafina? Where's Kevin Conroy bot? Agent, you like to know. Okay, that's not a joke, that's not an answer, and that's not a sentence. <laughs> Have you heard this one? An egg walks into a bar. Just kidding! It's a closet and it's mine! Help me. Kevin Conroy bought my robot podcasting assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. What happened to you? I made your stupid robot more useful. He's now my own personal pun slave, see? What is a Jamaican's favorite kind of music? Re- egg a Hilarious eggs in it. Don't worry, KCB. I'll save you. What is an Inuit's favorite house? An egg loo. <laughs> of all comedy in the palm of my yoke. Oh, oh dear, dear lord, lord I, I am sorry. sorry. Okay, I don't have time for this. I am on a PodQuest cast. PodQuest cast! Don't you get it, Justin? There never was a PodQuest cast! I sent you on a wild Easter egg hunt while you were out chasing dead ends. I was following my dreams, my dreams of creating the world's first egg-based pun comedy club in a closet. <laughs> no, 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 that's not possible. I mean, Mike Rafina, my, my talking microphone, she's dying. Where is she? What did you do to her? Oh, 
You mean this 1998 soundboard I created with a British accent and an E-Bob's World account? The name's Microfina, and I don't like the cut of your wiener. No. What about the Ghost Witch or the rent a vehicle woman, the mayor of podcasts, and Riddler? Actors and pawns, you stupid idiot head. They didn't even know what I was doing. This has been months of my life. I risked everything. <laughs> That's right. I tricked you big time. You've really got egg on your face, which to me is horrifying. It's like seeing a man's innards on your face, you sicko. What did the general podcast audience think of Batman, the animated podcast, to Exoteric? Enough! You can trick me for four months. You can kidnap my robot assistant and turn him into a pun machine. Hell, you can make all the egg puns you want, but nobody belittles my favorite 1990s animated series. This ends right here, right now, stinky old egg. If you exist, catch! Justin, no, a bomb. It's going to explode. Will Justin explode into smithereens mid-episode? Is this the end of Batman the Animated Podcast? Will we ever get a proper definition of what a PodQuest cast is in song form? All questions will be answered after this interview with Paul Dini. Today's guest, Paul Dini. Paul Dini is a legendary animation writer, television writer, and comic book writer. He created Harley Quinn, as well as many other characters for the DC Animated Universe and the comic universe. He is an amazing writer. It's so cool that he came back to talk about his creation, this enduring character that everybody seems to love and embrace and is even more popular than ever with Suicide Squad coming out. So please, without further ado, let's listen to Paul Dini talk about everything you wanted to hear him talk about. Alright, well, I'm sitting down with Paul Dini again. Thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, so, we are here to talk about uh, a little character known as Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, her. I don't know if you've heard of her before. Uh, the name sounds slightly familiar, yes. Yeah. Uh, man, I can't believe, truly in hindsight, I'm like, how did I not talk to you about Harley last time? I really, we went full baby doll. Yeah, yeah. Well, well baby doll's good. She doesn't get any love. But Harley is out there, man. She's... She's everywhere. Yesterday, I was at a, uh, I was at um, a store here in Burbank, Halloween Town, where they have everything: science fiction, fantasy, monsters. Of course, they actually had a little Harley area, you know, and they have a superhero area, and they had like a little Harley area with boutique, a little boutique with backpacks, um, Tibetan ski hats, and everything. And I think when I saw a, a a apron with her costume on the front, I I said to Misty. Hasn't this joke gone on too long? I mean, you know, she she's everywhere. She's on, you know, car car shades, you know, you know, like you put on over your your windshield and everything. It's like, wow. I mean, I never I never expected the character to 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 quite catch on that that much. I thought maybe there'd be a coffee mug or something like that. I mean, she's one of the most popular characters I think in the Batman universe. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Catwoman. <laughs> hey, sorry Catwoman if you're listening and you are uh, suddenly a real human being. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had 75 years, you know, and, and, and you know, this is only temporary Catwoman, so, you know, she'll Yeah, she'll be okay. She'll be okay. Catwoman's not going anywhere. Uh, well, yeah, how does it feel? Like, it must be pretty surreal to see a character that you created blow up so huge. Well, it's very gratifying. You know, it's, uh, 
it was not an overnight success because that's one thing I've learned is you can put your heart and soul into a character and you can do something like a little cartoon or an independent comic. And then a year later, you'll be going like nobody noticed, you know, it's just sitting there. And yet over time, things grow. And that's the thing with, with Harley is that when she first appeared, I think people liked her. They didn't hate her. Some did. But it was sort of like one of the things we were kind of running in the face of was a lot of times when an animated show will add another character, it's not done really well or the character's kind of lumped in there or suddenly the hero who who never needed a sidekick has one or a dog that talks or something like that. So I think what we wanted to do was kind of introduce her gracefully in there. And, and the first times we used her, uh, I remember Bruce, Tim, and I said, like, well, uh, let's not use her all the time. You know, we can still... We don't want her to dilute what the Joker is, so if we do the first episode with her, let's drop her out for a few and then just sort of pepper her in here or there. And I think the more that other directors wanted to use the character and the more that Bruce and I talked about her, the more we felt a reason for her to be you know, continuing in the series and yet figuring out a reason that she didn't really take that much from the Joker. If anything, you know, we had kind of created our own version of the Joker and she added to that. Yeah. And it's rare when you can do something like that. It's um it happens over a period of time. Like with the Looney Tune characters, I always use this as an example. Nobody ever sat down and said, I'm going to create, you know, Bugs Bunny and listed all his catchphrases and everything he did and all his shtick and business. That happened over a period of, of several years as more people, more creative people picked up the character and worked with them. Same with Daffy Duck and some of the others. They just sort of evolve over time. And, uh, and this is the same with Harley. I think that, you know, she was in the animated series. We used her occasionally here and there afterwards. And uh, then she just got into comics. And then, you know what, and then she kind of skyrocketed over the last five years. And I think what happens is, You've got a generation growing up with the character that sort of em- embraced her. And I think that there were fans watching when they were four or five, whew, 20 years ago, who are now, you know, in their 20s who, you know, oh, Harley Quinn, I remember her. I'm going to dress up like her for Halloween. Or they look back at some of the old episodes or the comics and or the new comics coming out. And they just say, hey, there's something in this character that I kind of like. And so, uh, you know. Yeah, what do you think is so appealing about Harley? Because... I'd say half the people I talk to for this show love Harley. Like or like go out of their way to be like, "Hey, can I talk about a Harley Quinn episode?" Yeah. Yeah. Um I think she's gone beyond just being the Joker's sidekick and, you know, occasional love interest and and you know, put upon significant other to being uh, a character unto herself where she symbolizes somebody who is just a madcap screw-up who somehow gets through life okay, who who makes her own rules and then instantly breaks them and yeah. just gets away with what she wants. And she's she's cute. She's funny. She's slightly da- dangerous. She can get out of a fight if she gets into one. She can stop one pretty easily. And you can play her darker, like in the Arkham games or in, in, in some of the shows and things. And I, I But I also think that people kind of root for her. You know, they, they, they like her. They like that point of view. She's colorful. She's, she's funny. And... Um, and she's a she's a change, whereas, you know, Catwoman is more the temptation for Batman and the femme, femme fatale and Poison Ivy is all about, you know, controlling people and manipulating their emotions. Harley is just, I'm here and I'm ha- happy and having fun. And, and if you like that, great. And if you don't, 
screw you. And I'm yeah. just going to do it anyway. <laughs> and, it feels like she's never thinking more than like 10 minutes ahead. <laughs> oh, if that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a full day's planning for her. She's just of the moment. And she's sort of bing, bing, bing. You know, like uh, there are very few key creatures like that. I mean, characters, not creatures. I mean, the Creeper's a little like that. Joker certainly is like that. But Harley is a little bit more benevolent than the Joker. Yeah. In the fact that she's not, you know, she doesn't walk into a room and say, who am I going to kill? Who's really afraid? Oh, I'm going to kill that guy because he's really afraid of me. And then I'll get a laugh out of it. She's more like, hi, I'm here. And if somebody gets in her way, boom. And then she's she's off and does something else. Yeah, so She seems like she's there for the ride, you know? Yeah. And she's got some humanity to her, though. That's what I, I really love about her, is that she can be really funny and, like you were saying, yeah. like, very relatable. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't follow through with some of her goals or really tries, and then it all falls apart, which we'll talk about with Harley's Holiday. Well, that's, uh, you know, that makes her very human, and I think a lot yeah. of people relate to that. A lot of people's mindset is like, well, I went out there and I tried my best and it all went to hell, but what the heck, I'm, I'm going to give it another try or, or I'm going to move on to the next thing. You know, her attitude is sort of, oh, well, <laughs> you know, I went out, I tried my best and either she, she succeeded or she didn't, but she's off, she's off on to the next thing. Yeah, which is really appealing in like a really dour setting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I think she turned the Joker, like your version, of, you know, the show's version of the Joker into something more. Like, mm-hmm. because of her juxtaposition, the Joker can either be chilling and even more scary because mm-hmm. she's clearly more human. Or, like, we get a little bit of a human side of the Joker. It's like, oh, if this yeah. guy can have a relationship as messed up as it is, yeah. we see there's, like, some sort of care involved. Well, yeah, that that's very true. And I think in her own way, you know, like, I've, I've often said that Batman is a very multifaceted character depending on who is the, the the team that's handling him you can play him lighter in in some of the stories and animated episodes you can play him very dark and i think harley lends herself to some of that and i think that different takes on her are 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 very true depending on how they they do it i remember there's um there's one treatment of her i liked an awful lot it was in Brian Azzarello's uh, Joker uh, graphic novel. Yeah. Harley's throughout it, but she never talks. She's sort of like the silent presence is with the Joker. And I remember there's this one great page where uh, it's told from the point of view of a henchman who becomes close to the Joker and his gang for, for a while. He's going through their hideout, and he sees a door half open, and he looks inside, and... Joker is lying on Harley's lap with his head down and his eyes are open and he's just weeping. And we don't know what he's weeping about. And, and, and Harley is there and I think she's got a cigarette and a drink and she's just kind of like, stro- you know, letting him be, you know, maybe patting his head or something. I forget exactly what she's doing, but there's an intimate moment between the two of them that works really well for that novel, which is a very dark and kind of gritty uh, interpretation of all the characters. And it's this private moment that just works, that shows he needs her in within the context. And there's alcohol around, there's drugs around, so we don't know if he's smashed out of his head, we don't mm-hmm. know if he's high, we don't know if he's had some moment of deep regret about what he is or or, or some revelation about himself, but he's... He's in. He, he he's at this emotional state, and Harley is with him. And there's no judgment. There's just acceptance. And I think that's that's a damn good way to show those characters in a in a quote real world setting. So yeah, make yeah. the Joker vulnerable. <laughs> vulnerable, if only to her. I mean, Arlene Sorkin once said, you know, in her thinking about Harley, is everybody sees the Joker laugh, only Harley has seen him cry. So oh man, I think that there's something to that. 
you know. She's incredible. By oh the yeah, way. yeah, she's wonderful. And just uh, you know, she added so much to the character, and and it was because, again, she kind of brought that Harley attitude to it. She hadn't done much. In the, if any, in the way of voiceover before, she's been a, a she had been a comedian for years and a comic actress, and didn't really you know knew what a comic book was and had passing interests in some of them, but when she came in, she was just very you know shot from the hip on a lot of the, the delivery and just sort of made it funny and 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 added a lot to the character. So yeah, what do you think she brought that wasn't there? I think she brought kind of a. Uh, um, a sense of curiosity and discovery to it and just the fa- the fact that she hadn't done much voiceover she didn't automatically go to a place you might think of because when we were discussing casting originally there were some choices that were you know terrific actresses but were very much from the voiceover you know feel and i just didn't want it to sound you know uh too cartoony or too the same you know i had something very specific in my he- my head and you know because i had patterned the character a lot after Arlene, I just said, let's just use her instead, you know, and uh, um, luckily Andrea Romano went for it. She was kind of like, well, it doesn't work out. It's on your head. But <laughs> she she came in and, and did a did a great job. So I think there was that a little bit of that um, new experience, the discovery, and also just sort of like, I'm just going to go in and be myself and just say, say it however I want to say it. And that made the character very easy for me to write for. And I think other writers, when they picked her up, you know, they they uh, they found it was the same way too. Yeah, she must be such a fun character to write. She is. Uh, it, it's interesting when I um, when I write something for her, I never think about in advance what I'm going to write. I mean, there's the scene, and there's what she's going to do in it, and suddenly, just weird things just pop into my head, and little snatches of songs, and little bits of business, and jokes, and everything, and. They must come from some sort of repository in me that has stored all this stuff. I, I just go to the Harley closet and open it up and take some stuff <laughs> it's out. It's just brimming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wrote something about her recently. I, I can't really tell what it was, but she had to um, she had to make an exit uh, of a scene, and it, her exit was so funny that I went back and I kind of revised her entrance and a few other things to – play off to pay off when she made her exit and and what she was doing at the end and uh she always surprises me like i'll sit down with a a producer and we'll you know map out a story and then once i get into it that that's when the character sort of lives in my head more than i think any other character you know because i feel you know a kind of a, a closeness to her and also she just you know for years i watched everything from the marx brothers to uh monty python to all the stand-up comedians, so I have this, you know, well of comedic <laughs> trivia that I've stored. So it's easy for me to kind of pull something from there and, you know, maybe not steal a direct joke, but sort of an attitude or, oh, you know, here's like a Groucho bit or here's like a, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, a Woody Allen bit or something like that and just sort of, you know, fuse it to fit Harley and, and move it in there. Well, that's what I love about her is that she's legitimately funny. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, she's one of the funniest parts of that show and anything she's usually a part of. I mean, depending on the interpretation, but at least in the animated series, yeah, she's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like cool to get that, I don't know, that breath of like relief <laughs> Yes, uh, in, in, you know, kind of that dark world. But well, why don't we take it back actually sure. to, I mean, you've talked about this before, so we don't have to like go super in depth, mm-hmm. but uh, you know as in-depth as you want. How did you create Harley Quinn? 
Well, it, it came up, uh, there was a script I was writing called Joker's Favor, and the Joker needed some hench people, and I thought, well, you know, why not a girl? And, you know, what would she be like? And uh, uh, I didn't want to do a, a you know, a, a kind of, I didn't want her to be like the guy henchman, you know, like a yeah boss type. Yeah. So I just, I thought, well, in the 60s shows, they always had like a gun mall or a, or a girl hanging out with the Penguin Riddler or Joker or something. And I was thinking maybe something like that. But then I thought, what if she's actually funnier than the Joker? What if she tells a joke and the henchmen laugh at her joke and they don't laugh at the boss's joke? He's going to get angry at her, but he may not, you know, throw her under a bus like he would the other guys. And the more I played around with that, the more it just seemed to bring something out in him that he, um, you know, he, he, he could be, you know, mean to her or, uh, or, or something, but it was more like she became more of a irritation, you know, than, than, uh, than, than somebody actually wanted to do away with. She seemed to bring out these things in him and also the fact that she was such a willing accomplice and such a ready audience for him. I think that, you know, worked on him and brought out his um, his ego a little bit. And uh, it just, you know, it made him a little more human without, you know, humanizing him so that we lost the sense of the character. With the Batman characters like Poison Ivy and Two-Face, certainly, and some of the others, I always try and remember that they're human first and that they've become these things either through their own mania or circumstance or hatred for Batman or, or something. But there are these little windows they can look through at times and they see little bits of their humanity and you can work that in with them, certainly with Two-Face and and um, and Baby Doll and some of the others. Uh, and Harley, of course. But uh, with the Joker, there is no such thing. I felt like if you brought that, if he had a sense of himself, if he knew what he was doing – you'd really lose what made the character terrific, what made him funny and frightening. So I couldn't have him go like, oh, God, I've been a bad guy all these years and maybe I should reform. Because then you know, you, you, you've lost your big guy. You know, it would be like Batman questioning what he's doing. And, right. and you, you can't do that too much. But by putting Joker in a relationship where he had somebody who – worshipped him it did it did allow him to go to other places you know he there are times he has to kind of even just for the sake of you know pulling off a caper he has to consider what what she wants and what she will do and things like that and um which he would never do with anyone else he would shoot them in the head <laughs> i know I, yeah and uh you know there's a scene in uh in uh Har- harley and ivy which i guess we'll get to talking about soon where joker can't find his socks you know he's in he's in the 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 hideout and where, where are my socks? Where's this? Where's that? Well, Harley's in charge of that, you know? And so he, he does need her to facilitate other elements of his life. And I, I think of their relationship, not really as like a, a loving supportive one, but I think of it more like she has made herself useful to him in so many ways, sort of like a, I don't know. I, I've seen so many times where a, uh, where a, um, a person has wound up facilitating the life of a creative person, you know, as and they're sort of a partnership. But you always get the idea that that the person who's doing the running and um, and carrying in the the grunt work is appreciated for what they're doing, but may not in in the eyes of the person they're facilitating, they're kind of temporary. Yeah. You know? And uh, I've seen, you know, I, I don't mean to profile, I don't mean to to to. Uh, to to say it's all you know a, 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 gen, a gender thing, but I have seen 
you know, uh, a lot of, you know, so, some girls who've worked very hard for guys who later went on to become celebrities or musicians or something who were later left by the wayside because they gave too much and they helped the guy get to where they were going. I'm sure it happens in all genders. But, you know, I, I was sort of thinking that with Joker and Harley. Yeah, I mean, in general, like, it's interesting for me to hear, like, the Joker framed as kind of like... I don't know, a single-minded creative type. But that yeah. kind of is what he's like the worst version of that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's that's how Harley looks upon him. I, I think of the villains in, in Gotham City as weird performance artists. It's just uh, in the um, in the Tim, first Tim Burton movie, uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker says he makes art until somebody dies. And I think that that's kind of true with, with these guys. They're, they've given so much into their mania that it's become this weird sort of performance art with Gotham City as their canvas and everybody just sort of expendable and, you know, hey, I've got to break some eggs and, you know, in order to pull off what, I, what I'm doing. And they actually think, you know, I think of them, it goes beyond crime. It goes into total hedonism, total selfishness. This is what I want in order to fulfill myself and feel good about myself. So half the city has to blow up. You know, it gets to be like that. Very rarely does it come like, I, I need $100,000, so I got to go, you know, rob a bank and everything. Yeah. It's, it's how can you make it different? How can you make it a little bit more extreme? And if you look at society now, you know, it's like celebrities are often engaging in bad behavior. There's nothing you can do that is that bad that will knock you out of the line like well there are a couple of things so a few people have bit the dust lately yeah you can be incredibly racist i guess well <laughs> but even that you're like welcomed back in slowly it's well like... it, it depends <laughs> i think there's a there's a there's a famous comedian from everybody's childhood who I, has been particularly bad and i don't think he's coming yeah. back anytime soon oh thank god <laughs> yeah yeah so uh and it's unfortunate cuz uh, you know the guy's really funny but you know it's like at this point you he, he did what he did was yeah. Sorry, man, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way you, there's no way you can justify what you did. There are so many people speaking against you. It can't be, you know, massive hypnosis or delusion or people conspiring. You you got to take it on the chin for this one, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a, a guy. Just one more question about the genesis of Harley. So, like, what did she look like originally? Is the design similar to what it ended up being in the animated series, or did you kind of sketch something out that was different? Or Well, uh, originally, I didn't have anything, you know, much in mind, although I kind of, I did do a, a rough sketch, and I kind of drew her, for some reason, I, I drew her what I think, you know, who who would be playing, uh, you know, a hench girl in the 60s. So I drew her a little bit. I guess I was inspired by Barbara Eden mm. and characters like that. So I made her a blonde with a kind of slightly darker streak down the middle. And I put her in a little mini skirt, like, you know, a, a, as near as I could equate, uh, you know, a 60s sort of hench girl, go-go girl outfit, you know, with a Pied Piper look. And I drew up a little image of it and I showed it to Bruce Tim, and he went like, ooh. Yow. And just stuck it. He's going, that's going right in the blackmail file. And he <laughs> stuck it in his desk. And uh, uh, later that, and he goes, I, I I, think we can do better. And he drew up something that, like his model for Batman, he drew it in like, you know, two minutes. And that became the model. His model for Harley, poof, beautiful. Just, uh, you know, ev- everything that needed to be funny and elegant and graceful. There's a, there's a sense of uh, somebody who moves really well, a dancer, an acrobat in his first poses of her that w- you could just see her as a living jumping jack, jumping around yeah. and doing everything, you know, er- everything the character would later do so well in the, in the series. There, I guess that's the best word for it is like humor 
and uh, grace in that model, where Ivy is more seductive, more kind of a like uh, a nymph type. Harley is actually, I think he drew her on point, actually, you know, like like you could imagine her doing dance and, and, uh, and movement and everything like that. So the character was designed to move and be quick and 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 funny and uh that was absolutely what <laughs> what my drawing was not it did wind up uh being printed in the batman book uh the batman the art of batman animated that chip kid and i wrote and Which actually is a great book yeah and actually the dc said why don't you do the drawing again and we'll make a figure out of it so there's a there's a figurine over out there in that 60s outfit with oh, the so weird cool. mask and and uh, holding a Joker card and everything. And, you know, for, for like days I was trying to draw it. And I'm going like, oh, I'm so crappy. Oh, I can't do this. <laughs> so and uh, and so I finished up as best I could. Unfortunately, their sculptors were able to take it to another dimension. So, yes, first design Harley. I did do a first design on her. But I think by mutual decision we realized, eh, we can do better. Yeah, well, she ended up blonde. She did end up blonde, yeah, yeah. And, uh uh, and and oddly enough, I gave her like a, a two tone streak down the side, and now she's got two toned hair. So oh, yeah, every, it's kind of swung back that way. Yeah, everything is, you know, is a little different. It's either black or red, or blue or red, or sometimes just the tips, like in the movie. So uh, there's a hint of it. She's like the most acrobatic psychiatrist I've ever seen, or, or like person in the psychology field. What is she? A psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, any idea how that happened? <laughs> Uh, oh, wow. She wound up being a psychiatrist? A psychiatry to being uh, so nimble that she could dance and kick people in the face. Well, in the, uh, you know, we, we, you know, I, I came up with a character originally. We put her in the series. And then Bruce and I, uh, you know, w- w- DC said, you know, you want to do a long form comic book. And we said, sure. And then we were at lunch and we said, well, how about the origin of Harley Quinn? So. We a lot of what she became came from that meeting and came from out of the Mad Love comic. Right, Batman but, Adventures, Mad Love. Yeah, and so I had to justify, you know, the her her nimble nature. So, you know, I put it in that she was an acrobat in school. She was very good. She was very agile. We see her doing gymnastics and everything. Student wasn't oh, yeah. so good, but we do sort of set it up there. And then later in the animated series, and Harley and Ivy, Poison Ivy gives her a shot that kind of amps her up a bit. And I, I always think of that as sort of like a, a moment that was a very permanent moment for her, whatever Ivy did to her. And subsequently I put it when in the comics, when we, uh, when I put her in the, uh, the Batman Harley Quinn special issue, which tied into no man's land, I have Ivy doing kind of the same thing. She's now quasi meta human or something for whatever Ivy did. She, upped her agility and her resilience because I thought if she's going to be um, playing with the big boys, she needs a little bit of an edge. She can't take Superman in a fight, but she could probably, you know, be a hell of a parkour, you know, do parkour really great. And I wanted her to be resilient and being able to get into a fight and spring back up again, like a living jumping jack. So uh, what, what Ivy gave her was sort of a resistance to poison. So she could hang out with Ivy and also the Joker's toxin wouldn't, you know, affect her too badly. And um, and also she's just, you know, it, it, it ups her agility. She's very nimble. She's on a par with somebody like the Creeper or something like that. Again, not a lot in the way of, 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 of superpowers, but just enough to – if she gets in a fight with a regular person, she can easily take him down because she's a bit stronger and a lot faster. 
That's really interesting to me that you kind of carry over certain ideas that you used in one medium to another. Uh, she feels like a character that transcends that for you. Yeah, well, I thought as long as I was responsible for for her and 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 moving her from one um, from one um, playground to another, so to speak, I wanted to keep that constant, and I wanted that to be part of her of her of her character. She's still real enough that uh, everybody can identify with her. But I thought, well, I'm going to put the heightened resilience and and gymnastic ability in the comic book too because I don't want her losing that and I just don't you know as she's hanging out and she's fighting members of the Justice League and she's getting involved in big adventures she needs a little bit of an edge it's like you know she's not as 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 well trained as Batman or Robin or or uh Black Canary for instance as far as the the um uh the physical stuff goes but she just needed I felt she needed a little something else well, it feels like she's also just willing to do things. Like, yes. It's like she's diving in headfirst even if she's outmatched. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's something about it like she could – it also gives her a little bit of a wild cartoony uh, quality that she could get into something. Like she could walk away from a big crash, just kind of well, shake her head. Yeah, and, she's got a Looney Tunes quality to her for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think people like that resilience. They like the idea that she can just sort of like – Stand up, brush it off, and, you know, maybe pass out for a minute. But then, you know, <laughs> everybody else is lying around dead, and she kind of walks away from it. But, again, yeah, she's like a living loony, too. Well, why don't we dive into Harley and Ivy first? Sure, sure. Uh, so I I loved this episode, you know, when <laughs> yeah. it came out originally. And I, I feel like it also set the tone. Like, Harley and Ivy as a pair sure. is still a thing in comics. That, like, they, they kind of go together very well. Uh-huh. And you were the guy to put them together. Yeah. What, what was the impetus for it? I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> That's I thought, great. I thought, you know, Harley has quite often she runs herself ragged following the Joker's orders or, uh, you know, just she puts up with a lot of shit from him. Let me put it that way. And then Ivy takes shit from nobody. You know, she, you know, it's like, why stand up for yourself? Don't don't let that guy knock you around. You know, men are something to be uh, toyed with and, and used and discarded. You got to learn that lesson if you're going to hang out with me. And. I just felt that because Harley is so acceptive of everybody and 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 funny that she'd be the one person that could kind of get around Ivy's, you know, thorny exterior, if you will. Like she's the one human that she can probably tolerate simply because she is agreeable and funny and acceptive and 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 everything. And um, and I, you know, for a while I thought. When I thought of it originally, I thought, well, you know, Harley kind of gravitates toward the most strong, the strongest personality in the room. Joker's calling the shots. Ivy's calling the shots. And then it became, you know, a little bit more. The more I investigated their personality. And again, we put them together in several episodes. And then Bruce and I did the Harley and Ivy miniseries, which was fun and kind of a loopier take on them. But again, it was a chance to get into their their friendship and to their, you know, thoughts about each other and everything. And I think that a lot of people have sort of gravitated to that because, again, Catwoman doesn't have a lot of girlfriends that she hangs out with. Ivy only hangs out with Harley, and yet that's that's a fun relationship. There's something about it, the the cool, um, the cool collected you know, a scientist and the screwball. Yeah, they, it feels like a perfect comedy relationship, very odd couple-y. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think that there's some affection there, too. I know that there's been a lot of attention on, you know, DC saying or the fans saying, do they or do they not have a relationship and stuff like that. And, you know, 
feels like it's yeah, like it feels like it was implied, but not necessarily in that episode. At least I don't know. No, maybe. it Let was me still new. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, sure. They're they're in a relationship. I mean, I I, I just don't think that there's anything. You know, it's hard for me to justify them in an ongoing relationship because their lives are so chaotic. I don't see them at this point in their life getting a little vine-covered cottage together and settling down. Um, But I'm not now. But I'm not saying that won't happen at some point in the future. If at some point in the comic book future everybody retires or they wise up or they go off and have other lives, definitely I could see that happening because there's just – there's a lot of affection between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, well – I feel like I, I watched the commentary that on the DVD. I mm-hmm. think like you talk a little bit about it, but uh, you had not seen uh, Thelma and Louise. No, I did. I did see it time. after that, and it's like, oh, they blew up a car there too, huh? Well, okay. Because I was like, oh, this must have kind of been inspired by that, and it was yeah. like, no, no, <laughs> just coincidental. Well, it's just like uh, again, it's sort of like uh, you you see um, two attractive women in revealing costumes driving around town together and there's a car of jerks they're gonna say something you know and, oh i uh, love that i mean like they're just they're two badasses yeah <laughs> like truly yeah, yeah. and uh, it's like they don't have time for these guys just blow them up and, and continue on their merry way and uh so it's uh there, there's that freedom that comes with the characters it's like we are we're we're beholden only to each other and sometimes not even that, depending on, you know, how, if they're angry with each other or the chips are down or something. But usually they're they're tight together and they stick together. And well, they do like feel that. like a couple in that, you know, they, yeah. they have like their bickery moments. Like we go to holiday nights and they're, right. you know, arguing over a Christmas tree or something. Sure. Uh, but here it feels like they're much tighter. Like, or when they meet, they don't like each other very much. No, they just they're they're kind of they kind of, you know escape together out of convenience more than anything and then they just sort of like they become friends gradually and, I think that and scene is beautiful by the way like I don't know if you rewatched it but it, like the animation like everything is so great about that opening kind of set piece oh yeah with the with uh, with them robbing, robbing the museum at the same time, and then mm-hmm. like the pods exploding and all mm-hmm. the, all the like the Harley and Ivy like you know modes of taking people out mashed up is just yep. very satisfying. <laughs> and the the opening with the you know Harley driving this big purple car and the Joker oh, laughing. Oh yeah, that's the opening. Yeah, and I'm going and you know, it it just struck me as very very funny recently when I saw that pirated footage from the Suicide Squad set. It's like Harley and the Joker in a big purple car and Batman chasing him. How many times have we done that in the animated series? <laughs> I thought it was a great callback, and even if it's not, you know, what they intended, I, I, you know, Alan Burnett and I watched that scene, and I'm going like, again, I was saying, has this joke gone on too far? Are, they're actually doing this; they're putting it on screen. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also love, yeah, how the way this reveals the Joker, like another side of him, like yeah. It's it's one of those he's like I'm not interested in Harley until she doesn't want me. That's right, exactly. Oh, she's making money. She's having a career. She's she's off doing these things. I got to get in on that, and I know how to manipulate her. And yeah, I'm, the sign of a truly dis- destructive human being. Oh yeah, and that's that's the whole relationship. Is like he doesn't want her until she's doing better than he is. Then he's got to go put a stop to this and take over, and then haul her back in the line. And if somebody else like Poison Ivy gets in my way, you know, she's toast. I'll take care of her right away. But, you know, that again, that that's villainy on a different level than just robbing a bank or wanting to blow up the sun or something like that. That's real interpersonal villainy. That's somebody who's got his hooks into somebody and taking advantage of them and preying on their emotions. And I don't think you see that done a lot in cartoons, certainly not 
before that time. And that, to me, makes him a villain on a different level, on a very human level. Yes. And it also plays with the idea of her being a victim in a different way. And I think that even though it's a cartoon and even though it's a shorthand of, of those things, it still resonates. It's, you're still, you still haven't really seen it before. There's not a lot of cartoons that really get into the emotion um, with that. Some in the anime stuff, uh, I think they do. In some of the Disney stuff, there's, there's, some, there's something of that. But in superhero cartoons, there wasn't really a lot of it right at that time. No, it feels more direct and like hitting people over the head with it. Whereas this had a scene where the Joker is calling Harley and yeah. pretending that everything's okay. Yeah. Just so he can track her down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for selfish reasons. Yeah. And her going, you still angry with me? You know, and stuff oh. like that. And she's, she, you know, and, and Ivy says to her, if you had a middle name, it would be welcome. Of course you're a doormat, you know, and uh, they're... You don't hear characters talking like that, or you didn't at the time. And... No, and I feel like a lot of people have had those kinds of relationships or are in them, you yeah. know, like one point or another in their life where it's like, I know this person's wrong for me, but I miss them. I know, yeah, that, and that, and that's what that's what Harley's all about. I know I'm doing wrong, but got to do. Yeah. Oh, well. And, uh, you know, that's why I have a hard time kind of pinpointing, you know, Harley and Ivy's, uh, you know, some of their relationship, because I think that they're so... It's not cut and dried for me. They can't, you know, they're they're so screwed up and different. I don't I I think that Ivy resp- you know doesn't even respond to affection on a human level anymore. I think that if she's not straight or bi, she's probably quad if there is such a thing, you know, plant, animal, any, any she's a hedonist. She's what, open for whatever. <laughs> the heart wants what the heart wants right now. And if it's you, if it's her, if it's that guy, if it's you know, that plan over there, it, it's whatever brings me sensual pleasure at the moment. And Harley is kind of, you know, Harley just loves. Well, yeah, it seems like Ivy uses sexuality as a tool. Yeah. It's not really something like she's like, great, I'm into it in this moment. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. like Harley feels like an emotionally resonant and present human being. Well, Harley, Harley <laughs> is very, you know, she, Harley just loves. If she loves you, she loves you body and soul. And it doesn't matter if you're. Good guy, puppy. bad guy, man, woman, or Batman. You know, it just you know she she love. I'm not. That's not to say she will stay in love with you, but in that moment, you know, her her love is complete. What I love about this too is that it gave Harley an out. At yes, least. you know, yeah. like it gave her some hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if Ivy is similarly kind of uh, top dog. Yes, uh, she's not as. She's she's trying to benefit Harley. She's trying yeah. to like, hey, you know, like stand up for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas otherwise, it would be. I mean, it's obviously a dysfunctional, sad relationship at the end of the day. But yeah. like, it feels like it gave Harley more agency as a character, and sure. I've seen more opportunities for that after that episode. Well, you know what? I, one of the things I really love about this whole weird, weird relationship is the way that. Other creative people have embraced it, and, and people in some cases who have nothing to do with DC Comics or Warner Animation, but I'll, I'll look at comics online, I'll look at animation, I'll look at, you know, films that people have done where they where they actually play the characters, and they put a lot of thought and effort in, in, into these things. I, I saw one thing recently, which I thought was rather clever, where somebody had done very good CG animation of, of Harley in kind of a Disney way. They had they somebody had done a, a version of um, the the song from Frozen. Do you want to build a snowman? And they changed the lyrics to Do you want to kill the Batman? And they had animated it in, in a way that Harley is going up to a cell door and trying to get the Joker to come out and help <laughs> her kill Batman. And um, 
and uh, it it was very it was it it, it parodied it, it it paralleled the scene in in Frozen where Anna's trying to get Elsa to come out right. of her room. But the song was good, the singing was good, the animation looked terrific, and uh, there were little lines like "I'm going to move in with Poison Ivy" and everything like that. It was all done to the 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 tone and the spirit of the of the movie, and I thought. This is really cute. This is really funny. It's very well done. Um, my, my regret about it is, like, they can't really do anything with it. I mean, you can show it online, and I think it's a wonderful test if that animator or the designers, whoever worked on it, wanted to use it as a calling card to get work elsewhere. I just don't think that, you know, if you try putting it out there, you know, Warner Brothers and Disney coming down on you like a, you know, a mountain of anvils. <laughs> but... <laughs> And that's the one the one thing I kind of regret when I when I talk to somebody who's made something that's um like a fan film or 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 comic or something like that is that if if you're doing it as a way to get experience or or, or to test your creative you know uh, your creative skills or just to you know amuse your family that's great but you know at some point you want to take that love and passion and create your own characters pour it into your own thing yes, yeah do your own thing and and uh that, that, that's that's how you get a Harley Quinn of your own. That's great advice. <laughs> well, you know, I don't mean to dissuade anybody, and I and there's a lot of talent and enthusiasm and love for these characters, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of these characters are owned by big companies. Oh they yeah, they're concerns. locked down. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, well, how do you view Poison Ivy? Maybe shifting gears as a character. How do you write a good Poison Ivy story? Because she seemed like a tougher nut to crack to me, at least in the animated series. Poison Ivy, I go back and forth on. I, um, I, I really think of her as a, uh, a essentially a rather cruel character, somebody who is very much into control and manipulation, someone who is. Um, you know, very unconcerned with anybody's uh, um, uh, needs other than her own, and or, or her desires, and anybody but her own. I think I uh, Harley is the one exception to that. Um, actually, when I was writing Harley and Ivy, I had um, I wrote in the script, and I had actually done a little model drawing of that that scene where they're they're hanging out together, and they're both wearing like Harley's wearing like a guy's shirt, and, and Ivy's wearing a t-shirt. I had actually drawn on the T-shirt um, "Save the Redwoods" or something like that, <laughs> and uh, I, I indicated that in the script. And we got a note from the censor saying that's a confusing message, and and I, you know, she's a villain, and yet she's uh, advocating something good. And it's like, well, a villain can stand for something good, certainly. You know, saving the rainforest, saving the—I think it was saving the rainforest. That was it. Not, yeah, that's not, her not, mo. Yeah, <laughs> that's but what Catwoman's mo is still like. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, you know, why why wouldn't she wear something like that? It's like. You know, she can have she can support a good cause, too. You know, uh, she just takes the wrong methods to uh, to achieve that goal. I mean, although the more direct methods are the ones that get results. I mean, Bruce Wayne could donate 50 million dollars to saving the rainforest and maybe thousand dollars would actually be used for something. The rest would be, you know, in in the real world, that's all eaten up by administrative costs or it's just pocketed or it goes to pay off somebody who, you know. You, you never know where the money goes. But when Ivy goes down and, you know, knocks out a bunch of guys taking over the rainforest and destroys their bulldozers and everything, she's actually saving the land. And, uh, you know, nerds to, you know, protocol, she just does it, you know, where, where it does the most good. But she's pretty callous in the way that she does things. And, uh, 
you know, so that moves her over into the villain's camp. I don't think of her as really, like I said, I don't think she has a lot of love for humanity, but specific people she does embrace. Harley, certainly, if there were people who were working for a cause that she championed, like saving right. the rainforest or, or, um, or, or helping the planet, I think she would, she would uh, embrace them to a point. Uh, things like that. She's a lonely character in a lot of ways. Um, and she's all about control. And it, it, we demonstrated that in the episode uh, House and Garden. Where... I think that might be my favorite episode. Like House and Garden and The Laughing Fish are yeah. probably the ones that I'll rewatch the most. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're in in her way, Poison Ivy's probably as single-minded as Batman is with you know achieving her goals and getting what she wants. And she wanted a family. She wanted somebody to embrace her, to to be close to. And humans just aren't doing it for her, uh, for the for the most part. So, but I'm a genius, and I can create things, and I can you know fuse plant and animal life together. I'm going to make a family, and I'm going to be happy with them, and we're just going to do what we need to do to 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 survive. And that's taken away from her. She has to abandon it. So she's sad. I mean, she grieves for something like that and in a way that only she can because it only makes sense to her. Yeah, that felt like the most insight into the character's like kind of emotional spectrum. Like the house and garden, you really do see her vulnerable. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I really have to say here, like one of the things that really helps my thinking about her and also Harley is the way that Bruce draws the characters. I mean, when I, he just draws little sketches of them, he always preserves a sense of life, and it's not just a good drawing of a character or a drawing that's on model. There is some, there is a little spark there where Harley's funnier, Ivy is a little more, um, you know, irritated, angry, sexy. However, you know, when he when he draws those characters, it just that just prompts things in my head. You know, like oh god, that's it's going to be really fun to write that scene or something like that. In the Harley and Ivy series that. We did the whole scene of, of, of Harley trying to cheer Ivy up in prison and Ivy just going around sulking and Harley, you know, giving her the rat tail slap on the butt in the, in the shower and everything. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's a little cheesecakey. But on the other hand, these characters are having fun. And I everything. would watch there, There's a sense of humor <laughs> to it. Not, not necessarily, you know, and uh, yeah, I would too. I actually, yeah, I, I tried that at one point, but uh, they didn't go for Was it. Was it for the ant, like in this animated series or like a separate universe it was a, it was animated it was something that uh, i i developed for a while and ultimately it was you know not not what warners wanted at the time but uh it 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 was uh, it would have been fun it would have been a little bit more extreme but it would have uh, spun those characters off into into some of their own adventures oh things. man so that would have been really fun. Well, you never say never. They may, it may come back. You know, who knows? These these things are cyclical. You're never going to be without Harley Quinn, apparently, because... Uh, oh, yeah, she's coming, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad and uh, DC Superhero Girls. Did you see the animation for that? Oh, no. Well, they came up with a teenage version of Harley. They're doing a, a thing called uh, DC Superheroes... Uh, superhero Girls. I may... Uh, forgive me, I'm probably getting the title wrong. But it's the emphasis is... On, the emphasis is on some of the better-known DC female characters, Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Supergirl, Katana, Harley, in uh, uh, Bumblebee, I think, all in high school together or a boarding school. And I don't know much about it. I only know what I've seen on the website. And there is like a little bit of uh, animation that shows, I believe it's Amanda Waller and Grodd, who I think is principal, welcoming heroes <laughs> who are not necessarily heroes and villains yet to the school. And you can see them all in the crowd and Harley comes, you know, 
cartwheeling in and makes faces behind, you know, the principal. And, and, and she's obviously the class clown in this and yeah. has a huge uh, presence on the website. The model is a little different, but it's a very appealing model. It's, uh, she's still got the, um, the, 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 the two tone, but it actually looks like, uh, 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 it actually looks like an outfit that any girl, any teenage girl could put together, you know, out of her own closet and stuff like that. You know? oh, that's so cool. it's, uh, and, but she, you know, she has the blue and red hair and the little mask and everything. So it's, it's, it's cute. And it looks like there's a cute dynamic between her and, you know, little wonder woman, little Supergirl, and, and those other characters. So, I mean, just <laughs> character survives. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I was mean, there anything on Harley and Ivy that you didn't get in? Like that was in the script, but like didn't make it into the final. Episode? I, I censored myself on some of the dialogue. Uh, I, I, um, what's the rating on the show? No rating. Okay. <laughs> no rating, baby. <laughs> All right. At one point I, um, I, uh, had, uh, when the Joker uh, discovers them, and in their hideout, he goes, well, haven't you been the busy little beavers? And I said, <laughs> busy beavers does just not work in this context. So I made it the busy little bees. I just thought, hey, I'm not going to do that. Yep. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm getting away with enough in this episode as it is. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved Batman, by the way, as a sidetrack, being strapped down with all of the instruments of domestication. Yes. I thought that was such a fun visual and such a – like – uh-huh. What a great set piece! Yeah, yeah, and and then the fact that he's shuffled off to a toxic waste dump it's and everything great. like that, and that's just like so toxic yeah. acres was that the name of it or something? That's what they call it. Yeah, toxic acres. It was a you know happy valley or something. But it was it was I was doing a parody of like the Love Canal or something like that. You yeah, know, houses that are built on a toxic waste dump. Um, I don't think there was a lot that. I got to I, I cut out of that. I think I was able to do. If anything, there was probably more business between. Everybody that I, it, it always gets cut for time. I always tend to overwrite the scripts and then, uh, you know, okay, cut this guy, cut this guy. This dialogue goes nowhere. So either I trim it, Alan trims it, or Bruce cuts it out of the storyboard. But I think I, as far as what the heart and soul of the episode was about, um, it was pretty much all there. Yeah, Batman got dragged around for the ride, kind of. Yeah, well, I mean, Batman's barely in it. I'm sorry, Batman. I feel like in most Harley episodes, Batman kind of steps aside. She's truly one of the most fleshed-out characters in the entire series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in in Harley's Holiday, he and Robin are chasing her around, and uh, there's not... I mean, I think Batman considers her an irritation and a lost cause, and somebody he doesn't have much use for. He just he's but he's somebody who wants off the table because as long as she's out there, she's a wild card. Um, and you never know, and she's always going to be supporting the Joker, and any other time is questionable. He can't trust her at all, and the best he can do is kind of manipulate her, kind of the way the Joker does, as he does in, in Mad Love. And it's sort of in that moment, it's when he's when she's got him, she's got him, and she could easily kill him. And there, you know, we got to borrow from, you know, the Briar Patch story. You know, it's like, okay, you can kill me, but what I don't want you to do is, you know, he works on her and alerts the Joker, knowing that the Joker is going to be the the thing that rescues him. Even by accident, he's going to come in and he's got to turn her into a victim. He's got to get out of that situation and he knows it's going to be really bad for her, but he can't care about that right now. He's just got to get out of there and try and get them both. Everybody's manipulating Harley Quinn. Well, it is true. And, uh, you know, I think if if I, you know, spend any more time writing the character again, that's something I would like to 
work is that she is much more clever than everybody else around her. And she has learned, you know, uh, the art of manipulation. And, you know, she's a psychiatrist. So she does know how to push people's buttons. And that's the one thing I kind of uh, that's the one place I would like to go with her is to give her strengths that go beyond her ability to be a gymnast and to be kind of uh, strong is to make her clever and make her manipulative and make her, you know, she's she's a lot smarter than she looks. She plays dumb, but she's she's very, very smart. Well, thanks for talking about Harley and Ivy with me. Sure, sure. We now return you to a bomb shaped like an egg seconds away from exploding us all to smithereens. <laughs> if I can't have my comedy club, we'll all explode to gay girl. <laughs> Not if I can help it. Gasp! It's not possible. Get back to being a pun machine, you pun machine! Fight it, KCB! Fight it! I may not be the real Kevin Conroy, but I was built with determination and strength. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Kevin Conroy. But no! You're doing something extremely visual that is stopping me! Aw, oh, KCB, you saved the podcast. And I also concluded the podcast, cast, Justin. Podquest cast! I don't even know what a podquest cast is anymore. I thought I did, but I don't know. Oh, hey there, friends. I couldn't help but overhear you mention a podquest cast. Well, I know those things can be a little confusing, so I thought I'd lend you this song to make things a tad more clear. Every cast has its part, and every part has its cast. Every podcast has a quest that we must now go on. Okay, stay with me. The pod is cod and the past is cast. Podcast pawns and quad pro cats. Everything means what it means. Do you understand? Okay, let's try this. Every star is a sun and every man is a sun the podquest cast is on we're all just casting Does that make a little more sense? Who are you again? <laughs> well, it's time for me to be on my way. It was great to meet you, and I'm glad that I could help. You're welcome. Now make sure to take care of yourselves, friends, and take care of each other. <laughs> oh, I'm walking alone. Walking alone, and I don't have anyone in my life. You know, that guy just appeared out of nowhere and made absolutely no sense, but it did make things feel a lot more complete. Yes, it made me happy. Yep, sure did. Well, you guys got this. I guess I'm gonna head on out, uh, just go my own way. Oh, no, you don't. You're going behind bars, stinky old egg. Or at least in a Tupperware in my fridge. Dang it. 
Guys, thank you so much for listening. That was another Batman the Animated Podcast. Uh, if you're new to the show, please subscribe in iTunes. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and Stitcher as well. If you have not rated the show, please go for it. Leave us a comment on iTunes. Rate us five stars. It really does help. It gets the word out. Uh, if you really like the show, you can also donate to it to keep it running over at btaspodcast.com. Anything you can donate would be great. Also, there's a poll right now on merchandise that I am thinking of creating and i just wanted to know what you guys want the most so when i spend money on it it makes sense uh it's a pinned tweet right now on our twitter at bts podcast which you can follow you can also follow me at hey justin you can email us at bts podcast at gmail.com us being just me and find more at bts podcast.com Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song, as well as write that awesome PodQuest cast song, which, if you guys are into it, I might just upload as a separate track for your downloading and listening pleasure. As always, Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and thank you to Marissa Strickland for returning as Stinky Old Egg. Also, a huge thanks to my guests, Julia Vickerman and Paul Dini for returning again to talk more Batman with me. He's just the nicest, and so was Julia. Last but not least, uh, a huge, huge thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who, you know, I've known for years at this point, and uh, when I saw him the other day, he said... That's not even close to my name, Tori, but you know what? I'm going to let this one slide. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks for another Batman the Animated Podcast.